0: Hey friends, before we get to today's episode, I want to talk to you about unicorns. You know, I think we're all unicorns because we have special gifts and talents. And because we're all so special, it's important that we invest in things that will help us get to the next level. In fact, 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot. And for good reason, HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales software and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com startups.
1: Thinking back to like all these points where I thought I was set for life and it turns out, nope, then there was something else. There was another pivot. And getting comfortable with that uncertainty, with that instability almost, but still knowing that it will work out is probably the best mindset shift and the hardest mindset shift, especially for people trying to pivot their careers or change their lives right now.
0: Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. And this week we have such a cool and inspiring guest, Cece Shia. Cece is a writer, lawyer, and content creator with over 450,000 followers across platforms. As an immigrant, she grew up thinking that she was only good at one thing, studying. Studying led her to Yale and then Harvard Law School, followed by over five years as a corporate lawyer in New York City. She began creating content in 2020 to demystify the legal industry and other elite spaces, share tips from her years of balancing wellness and a demanding job, I can relate, and inspire those who feel like outsiders in the world to discover and carve their own paths. She posts blogs about her journey trying to figure out how to live a fulfilled, meaningful life, her reflections on law school and the legal industry and productivity tips and inspiration. That's why I love her, this sounds very me. (laughs) And she has been featured in Business Insider, Bloomberg Law and the ABA Journal. She is currently working on a book about law firm culture, and this conversation was just so great. I love how CC is documenting her journey real time, and I find her story so inspiring and so relatable, and I love chatting with her, so I know you will love this conversation, so let's get to it. All right, Cece, I am so happy that you're here. I've followed bits and pieces of your life on TikTok, and it's really cool. And so thank you so much for being on No Straight Path. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no,
1: thank you for having me. I would, of course, do anything for another alumnus of Harvard trying to do like their own thing. Yeah, yeah. It's been so
0: much fun. I appreciate it. I would love to just start from the beginning you can tell us a bit about your childhood, how you grew up, some of the characteristics and attributes that people would use to describe you, little Cece. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was born in China. And I think because I was born in China, I was an only child. This was back when the one-child policy was still in effect. And because of that, I think I got a lot of attention growing up. My parents had moved respectively to the United States earlier. To kind of like pursue advanced degrees or start working. And I was raised by my grandparents up until the age of four. And I think anyone who spends a lot of time with their grandparents will know that grandparents love spoiling their kids. So my grandparents really just were wonderful to me and always told me how smart I was. I think I was probably a pretty precocious child and naturally was able to talk back to the adults and everything. So I got a lot of positive reinforcement there and then i moved to the us when i was 4 didn't know any english and i think that was a little bit challenging was to realize that i had to basically start over from zero and would have to go to like the esl class would spell things wrong and then get like reprimanded but not know why and i think all of the rules that i had inherently knew when i was younger like growing up in China and all of that positive reinforcement. I still sought that, but I now realized that I had to figure out a different way of getting that positive reinforcement and like making my parents proud of me. So that definitely took some adjustment. My parents were also like kind of a little bit stereotypical in being very strict about something. So they would create like math worksheets for me. After school. So that was like on top of normal classroom stuff. And if I was like struggling with spelling, which I was for a little bit, my mom would make me do additional spelling tests after school. And my dad, like in the car, would make me say the multiplication table just like over and over to him until it was like second nature. And I think at this time I was like six. So it was a lot of like outside of school learning as well. I think. Because of that, people would probably say that I was like a really hard worker and pretty smart uh, by virtue of just all the attention on education that my parents emphasized. Can I stop you really quickly? Just because there's so much
0: overlap. And I just want to say that because I'm feeling seen. So I am an only child as well. And there was a lot of positive reinforcement. I had all of my flashcards and all of my activities. And so... Yeah. And it was something that I really craved and it was very important to me because I was just used to it. And so I can definitely see a lot of my story in yours. So fascinating.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. Only child syndrome. It's like definitely a thing. It's both good and bad, right? Like I think it was nice to have that positive reinforcement, but it also leads you to rely on that positive reinforcement as your own self worth for a while up until you figure out what your own self-worth actually is. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It took me yeah. a while to get there. <laughs> I know. I think it took me a long while to get there too. So that's just life. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of grew up mostly in California. I'd say when people ask me where I'm from, I say usually I'm from California because I grew up there from like the ages of nine to 18 and really just had a very like suburban experience there, hunt out with friends, like spent a lot of time doing school stuff, extracurriculars. And it was really emphasized to me early on that I had to go to a good college. College was really, really heavily emphasized by my parents. And I think we lived right next to Stanford and UC Berkeley. So we would go visit. I was really obsessed with the idea of New York back in the day. I think mostly because I love the gossip girl books. <laughs> I love like going to Barnes and Noble and just like reading the books for free, which I realize is actually what a library is. But yeah, so I was like obsessed with the idea of going to New York, like did visit Columbia once in high school and I was like, this is it, this is where I want to go. So I did a lot of AP classes, a lot of extracurriculars, studied a lot for the SAT, took like SAT two prep classes, just a very, very normal, I don't know about normal, but like very normal overachieving high school experience. In general, high school was a really, really tough time for me and I worked a lot and my parents also Really, really give me extra stuff to do. And I remember there was one instance where I didn't test into the AP chemistry class. And my mom was furious. Both my parents are scientists, so I think they took it personally. And my mom started giving me like chemistry Olympiad questions to do on the side to really like increase my chemistry skills. Yeah. (laughs) And she like went to the school and basically threw a fit. About how that my normal chemistry class did not adequately prepare me for the AP chemistry exam because I had an A in the chemistry class and I was like the top student there. But clearly, if I couldn't test in AP chem, like something was wrong with the teacher. So she really, really was involved in a lot of my education. And I just remember needing to do well in all my classes. I had never gotten Anything except for A's throughout my entire high school career. I basically took all the AP classes, was just really striving to. I think I was really striving for the affirmation and these like metrics of success that my parents had put in front of me and that the teachers all seemed to appreciate too. And that was what I was solely focused on at the time.
0: Oh, yeah. I can definitely see a lot of people relating to this. And so I assume that you probably didn't really get to think about what you wanted or what you were interested in growing up? Or do you think you had particular interests that you were drawn to?
1: I definitely had particular interests I was drawn to. And it was just hard to figure out how to mediate that with my parents' expectations and hopes for me. So growing up, I loved reading. I would constantly read after I learned English and learned how to spell that is. I just always was reading a book so much so that I think seventh or eighth grade, I got student of the year from the librarian because I think I came in every day to switch out a new book. I just read so much. So I really loved reading. I really loved writing and those were kind of the just like loved the world of books and language. But I think my parents had very different expectations for what I should pursue. And in some way, I think they wanted to impress their own ideas of what it would mean to succeed on me. So even though I had other interests, I remember in high school, I also really loved dance. And I really wanted to join the dance team. And my parents really, really were against that. And there were so many times... And I think their reasoning was just that no one on the dance team seemed to go to good college. And by good, I mean like Ivy League good because that was their expectation. So they didn't want me to interact really with the girls on the dance team. So even though like I really love dance and I had a lot of fun with it. And I think this like interest versus like parental expectations thing kind of carried out throughout college and even a little bit beyond. I wanted to major in English in college. And my mom basically told me I could only do that if I wanted to be poor and be in school for the rest of my life. So I ended up majoring in economics, which is what she thought I should major in. So I do think I had interests. It was just always tempered a little bit by what I thought I needed to do instead, rather than pursue my own interests. And I didn't really see anyone pursue their own interests and have it work out spectacularly yet.
0: I see. And so did this pressure, did you feel that? And did that inform your decision to go to law school?
1: Definitely. So my mom wanted me to go into finance, and I didn't really love finance. I saw my friends who had gone into investment banking, and it didn't seem like the life for me. So I decided to try the other path, I think, for people who don't go into finance, which is consulting. And I did that for a summer. I actually hated it. And I think not knowing what else to do, but still needing to go on a path that had very, very high stability and compensation. Law school seemed like it offered all of that in a way that my parents would approve of and that I liked enough just because it was a lot of reading and writing. And I had taken some classes in undergrad that were about law and technology. And I really loved the ideas behind how should law regulate something like technology that moves faster than the law really can't move at.
0: That's great. And so did you enjoy your law school experience and just your experience as an attorney?
1: I definitely love law school, but I think I love law school Later on, after I got over a little bit of this, like feeling of, oh, I should be doing what I should be doing, especially during your 1L year, right? You take a lot of core classes. And to be honest, I don't think they're that interesting. I don't think they're that necessary or fun. I remember taking civil procedure and I absolutely hated it. I was like, why are we just learning a bunch of rules that other people wrote? That's just about like the number of days with which you have to respond to a subpoena. Like this is just not interesting and you're just memorizing rules. So I really didn't like 1L for the most part, but HLS, you do get one elective, right? In your 1L year. And I took family law and that class was just so fun, so interesting. It was all the parts about the law that had drawn me to law in the first place. A lot of thinking about like how the law regulate society, you have the impacts that has on our lives rather than just like these arcane rules. So after 1L, when you're able to take a lot more electives, I did take some classes that I thought, thought I was supposed to take like tax, corporations, and those were fine. But I ended up meeting my partner in law school. And he really, really encouraged me to just take all these like wild classes because that's kind of how he did law school and the more i took those like kind of kookier classes the more i enjoyed it and i do think law school is a really wonderful liberal arts experience if you choose to treat it as such but it can also just be learning a lot of black letter law and having it not be as fun if you decide to go that route too. But what I loved about law school is that because I decided to later on treat it as a liberal arts education, basically, it was like I could redo undergrad a little in an environment where I didn't care so much about my GPA and things like that. Whereas in undergrad, when I was an econ major, I didn't really love any of my classes. And also, I was like worried about my GPA the entire time because of law school admissions.
0: Yeah. Wow. So so much overlap there. That's going to be like another podcast of just about (laughs) how to do law school the right way or how to do it you know, in a very fun way that's more authentic to yourself. Because I certainly felt the same way. I had a really great experience my second and third year. And that was because I was able to take the classes that were interesting to me and participate in activities that I really loved. So definitely can relate to that. And I would love to get to really now just like your pivot point. What's so cool about your story is that you are documenting it real time, which is really aligned with this podcast, No Straight Path, and you're sharing your story. And so I would love to know yeah, how did you make this transition to creator?
1: Yeah. So I guess I didn't finish the answer to your question earlier, which is how did I like legal practice? And I think legal practice is very different from law school, both in Good and bad ways. I enjoyed legal practice, I think, as much as someone could enjoy legal practice, especially in the big law environment. But when I first started out at my first firm, I did do a lot of things that wasn't always what I wanted to do. And I think that's kind of the challenging part of a legal career is that oftentimes the interests of the firm and your own interests and what you want to do may not be perfectly aligned. And when they're not perfectly aligned, you get stuck doing a lot of matters and subject areas that you might not be interested in. So I wanted to do a lot of intellectual property stuff like law and tech stuff. And while I did get to do some of that, I got staffed on a major securities litigation. And it was such a moneymaker for the firm that there was no way they were going to take me off of it. And when I did request to be taken off of it, they told me, they basically told me, No, who do you think you are? So I think that was like a little it was a little disheartening and kind of shows the difference between in law school you do get to pick what you get to learn and study. And in legal practice, you don't always get that choice unless you actively make a change. So I ended up lateraling to another firm where I specialized in privacy. And I really, really love that because the subject area was exactly what I wanted to do. And I did really like thinking about the rules that were coming out. And there's a lot of new privacy laws every day that are being signed to law. So it was like really fun and exciting area to be working in. That being said, I think the hours get really tough. And this feeling of not having control over your own life and your own direction as much can feel a little overwhelming at times. So there was a point where I was doing my annual evaluation with 2 partners and I asked them, are there any major gaps in experience that I'm missing right now? And they said, no, you kind of have experienced everything and now it's just filling in some nooks and crannies and keep on doing what you're doing. And I think that was like both a good thing, right? but also to me, it kind of felt like I was getting decreasing marginal utility from the job, as my economics instructors would say. So at that point, I started thinking about like other things I could be doing or ways to really continue growing in something rather than just becoming an expert or a master at what I was already doing.
0: So, friends, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about another amazing podcast, and that's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez, which is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx Empower is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insights from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their careers. I think you'll love a recent episode on toxic positivity in the workplace. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcast.
1: In terms of the pivot, content creation came completely accidentally. I was just holed up during the start of the pandemic as everyone else was. And everything had shut down at the time. We didn't even know if we could go outside really without something bad happening. So we were really just stuck in our homes. About three weeks after the pandemic really started and after all the shelter in place orders came down... It was my birthday, and I was just really depressed because I hadn't really gone outside. I couldn't really do the things that I love to do. I hadn't had any human interaction, really. So I decided, hey, we should at least do something different for my birthday than every other day. So I took the day off from work, even though, honestly, (laughs) I didn't think that there was much of a difference to taking time off from work versus like any other day. But... (laughs) I took time off from work and then decided, hey, I've also really been enjoying watching TikTok. So let's make a TikTok. It'll be like a little creative endeavor that we can do on this day. So we made it. It was like really stupid. And to my surprise, I think 48 hours later, I saw I had like 60,000 views. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? Like, what is this? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked. I was like, I've never seen something have that reach so quickly. So I decided, Hey, you know, this first one worked out. So let's continue making more TikTok. So I started just making more content and honestly didn't really know what I was doing in the beginning. It wasn't until I later decided as a creative project to do one of the day in the life vlogs, which is. Just a general thing. And I thought it'd be fun to, like, you know, film little clips from the day and then edit together in a little thing and then do a voiceover. So I did that and that one really took off. And I started getting so many questions about what it was like to be a lawyer, things that people should keep in mind. And I just started answering questions. I realized that there was a lot I had learned along the way that wasn't so obvious to other people. And I think in general, law is a pretty guarded community. And I remember when I was in law school and I would ask lawyers, how much do you work? What does 2,000 billable hours actually mean? No one really explained it to me very well. And I used to think that it was just unexplainable. But after working in it, I realized, no, it's not unexplainable. It's actually really easy to explain. And I don't know why people aren't explaining things more. So that's kind of how I got into it. No, I think that's great.
0: That like transparency is... So important. And I think when we're in our own little bubbles, we forget how much knowledge we actually have and how much we can really share and how much value we can add to other communities that aren't in our specific community. So I think that that's wonderful. Information is power. So,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it reminded me a little bit of moving to the US when I was younger and realizing that there was a whole new way of acting and being and signaling that you're in the in group that I had to learn along the way. And for a lot of people, they currently do not know those signals, do not know those things. And even in law, there are subtle indicators of belonging and like subtle things that you need to do, especially if you aren't from a family of lawyers or like this kind of elitist band of people. So I really wanted to be able to share all of that and give more insight and create content that I think I would have appreciated myself before this whole journey.
0: That's so great. So can you tell us about your hopes and dreams? Like, What is next for Cece? I know you said that you loved reading growing up and you loved writing. There's so many things that I'm not sure if you've been able to explore that. But have you thought about you know, what is your career going to look like
1: now? Yeah. So I think that ties into when the pivot point really came for me thinking, oh, I should look into doing something else. So concurrent to getting my performance review from the partners about how I mostly had done everything, my social media accounts were also kind of taking off. And I was beginning to be approached by brands to do sponsored content for them. And in the beginning, the amounts were very small or they were for really random companies that I wouldn't want to approach the general counsel of my firm about because at this time, I was still at the firm. So with everything I... Especially money-wise that I had to do... I did have to get clearance and approval just to make sure that everything was like on the level and there weren't any like business conflicts issues or legal conflicts issues. So in the beginning, there just weren't a lot of brands that kind of met that threshold, but after a while there were more and they were offering high enough amounts that I thought it would be worth looking into. So, I did some of them and realized that there is a whole different way of making money that I had never conceived of. I had only thought of making money in a strictly like W 2 employee sense. And there, I saw a lot of opportunity to do other things. And through my content creation network, I'd also gotten connected with a literary agent. And I kind of spoke to him about some of my book ideas, and he thought it was really great. And I just needed to to have time to work on these book proposals. So I started trying to think about these book proposals and working on them. But of course, in the law firm environment, there just wasn't really a lot of time to dedicate to that stuff. And I started thinking, if I'm able to make pretty good money via brand deals and... That would give me time to work on my book proposal, which is, as I said, what I've always kind of wanted to do. Then maybe I need to embrace this opportunity that's come along and do something, pivot to something where I get more time. Because at that point in my career, and I think this is true of a lot of big law associates, you don't really want more money after a certain point. You just want more time. So the question is like, how to get more time? Some people, I think, go in house and do it. Some people, Take a break altogether or, or go to a smaller firm, and for me, it was leaving entirely and thinking about how to kind of relying on content creation now as a side gig that would give me more time to work on writing and my book proposal and these like other interests that I've had for a long time.
0: I love that, and another thing I can really relate to as far as time. I'm in the same boat. I'm now on a reduced schedule and it's given me the time to do this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, it, it is really important as you get to a certain level and like, this is the most important thing in life. And then just life things happen. Right. So that certainly outside of work that makes you realize, okay, I need a little bit more time here to dedicate to this family situation or something like that. I've noticed with a lot of friends and family and from my own personal experience and. So speaking of family, one, I just would love to know what does mom think about this? Or what do your parents think
1: (laughs) about this? They've gotten really chilled out over the years. It's weird because I think their reaction now would not have been their reaction back when I was 18. They were really supportive. And I think a lot has happened in their own lives that has made them a bit more aware that there are many ways to do life and now and... They've also become a bit more like entrepreneurial in their own pursuits and are just realizing that they came to America for opportunities that are different than what they conceived of. So they should be able to embrace these opportunities that might not resemble the things that they think are successful. So my parents were actually really supportive and I think the way my mom framed it was, hey, you know, you tried it. You tried this like corporate route. You tried this like very stable route that we had thought of and you didn't love it. So if you're going to be working so hard, you should really love something. And that was just... I was like, who are you, mom? Like, is this an alien? (laughs) Like, did you... (laughs) Did someone abduct my mom? But I think she's just like gone through a lot in her own career transitions and has gotten like things like life coaching, all that, that she had not had when I was 18 and trying to make these decisions at first.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's great that they're so supportive. I'd love to know about your definition of success. How would you define success? Has it changed over time?
1: Yeah, I think when I was younger, success was just money. I think I had a lot of fears about money and financial insecurity growing up. That the idea of not having to stress about money was the only thing I could really think about. And in the beginning, that really was it. And when you work at a large law firm, you really kind of do achieve that at a certain point. The salary keeps on coming in, the bonuses keep on getting bigger, and you're like, oh, wow, like this is it. And what was jarring for me is I got to that point and I realized, oh, but now I want something else. I want time. I want to do other things. And I think because of that, success is a little bit hard to define. And I have been struggling a lot with how to define success now that I'm relying on my own internal sense of success rather than these external metrics. And that's the part that's probably been the hardest about where I currently am at, I no longer have a teacher being like, hey, an A is success. I no longer have a firm that tells me, hey, this many billable hours is success. And I'm really left to define it on my own terms. I have been doing a lot of like future visualization and trying to figure out like what possible paths look for me. It's probably going to sound cheesy, but I do think. Success right now for me is just being happy with what I'm doing and also not being worried about money at the same time. And I don't know if I can achieve that. I don't know if that's doable. But that's currently what I'm trying to pursue to see if it works out.
0: I love that. And you are certainly doing it now. So just keep doing it. (laughs) Keep going. We're cheering you on. (laughs) I do have just questions about advice. So... If let's say I'm someone that would also like to take a jump, a leap, a pivot point, a lot of listeners are here thinking about that. And you would be a great person to talk to. Do you have advice for people who are thinking about the next steps, maybe the next chapter? What's so good about our generation is like we're very dynamic. And so we don't have to have one career in our lifetime, as opposed to our parents' generation. And so... Yeah. Any advice?
1: Yeah. It's something I've been thinking a lot about because I think it's very normal now to have two to three like completely different careers in your lifetime. And the one thing I would say is really think about your past experiences and what you liked or didn't like about them. And I tell this to people who say that they're interested in becoming a lawyer too. Really ask yourself, like why? Why do you think this like being a lawyer is for you? Is it the financial stability? If so, then... Look at other things that offer that. If you enjoyed something like when I was thinking about what I really liked as a lawyer, it was a lot of like the deep thinking and reading and writing. So, what futures are possible that include a lot of that? Like, yes, right now I am trying to write, but also I've realized that I think tech policy would be a fun space to get into that also has a lot of the same overlaps with what I enjoyed about being a lawyer. So, really distill the things that you like. And disliked into like their core pieces. So you can piece together a path that might not be lawyer, doctor, banker, these careers that we already know about, but is more of a combination that is customized for you. I think that's such great advice. And I do
0: think, like, when you start to look at your past experiences, it, it really does start to make sense because when I told people, I had this podcast. So many friends from law school were like, duh, of course you do. And I was like, really? (laughs) Don't you think that, you know, I'm a white collar attorney? And they're like, no, Ashley, you were the girl asking questions about this. You were the girl, like, right before we even started law school, I wrote a blog post. Not, I didn't even know anybody. (laughs) I posted it on the Harvard, whatever Facebook. And I was like, hey guys, welcome to 1L 10 things to think about before we start 1L. It's like, be present. Connect with friends, know that you are worthy. Like, <laughs> did not know anyone. Who do I think I am? I'm trying to give advice and do a, you know, write a blog. And, but it was something that I've always done. And so sometimes it's been really nice too to ask your friends and your family about past experiences because they also can really like connect the dots for you because sometimes you don't see it, especially if you're consumed in a particular career that just takes up so much time. And so you don't have the time and mental space to think about some of the other things that you've been interested in. So I love that advice. I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's like threads throughout your life. And if we just have time to piece it together, we can see where everything is going. But you're right. The difficulty is sometimes you just don't have the time to see these threads running through your life. Yeah. Two final questions. So first question, I think we've touched on it.
0: So no worries if there's no more. But I would love to know just a little bit more just about your passions. Like I know you said reading and writing. I don't know if you can talk a little bit about the book proposal because that's probably secret. But like, (laughs) yeah, what have you discovered that you've been passionate about in this last, I guess, maybe two years of your pivot?
1: Yeah. So I can talk about my book because I think it's a really fun book that I am actually crowdsourcing a lot of materials from others from. So my first book proposal, it's tentatively titled Big Bad Law. And it's about law firm culture. I think there were a lot of things I was surprised by in the law firm environment and things that didn't quite make sense to me, things that took a lot of strategizing and tips and tricks on my own part to figure out how to navigate. And I think it's a pity that we don't just talk about it more. There are so many instances in which I think, you know, like you said, information is power. And I actually spoke with a reporter last year about how... The pandemic was impacting my life as an associate, and they ended up having to cut the story because they couldn't find enough people to talk to them about it. And I was like, What is this culture of fear, guys? Like, I think if we just talk more about all of these things, you know, have this transparency, I was really surprised that people like the transparency. I'm pretty much an open book. And for me, it's second nature to be able to share all of this. And I didn't realize that it was helpful for other people to learn about things, to know that they're not alone, to realize that there are other ways of doing this. So that's kind of my first book idea is I really loved democratizing knowledge and information. And that was something I didn't necessarily expect. But I think the more that we can shed light on an industry, then maybe we can also change that industry because law is very, very slow to change. And even more so at the big law level.
0: Definitely. I love that. I do. And I do think that we're entering a time and space where the transparency, they talk about authenticity. Even if you look at that LinkedIn campaign discussing bring your authentic self to work things like that like we are changing the culture is changing i'm seeing it at my firm i feel very i'm in a number of leadership positions and so i feel very comfortable speaking my truth and saying like this is not working this is working this is great and i think especially because i don't know if it, i think it's a pandemic i don't know there's other things too there's other factors but there's just even this openness even this like empathy in the workplace vulnerability in the workplace Like That was something in big law you would just never expect to even discuss. And so when we continue to be empowered and to share our stories and to really show our humanity, that's going to change the system. Because these systems are all made of people. We're all people, right? we We all have ups and downs and lives and stories and origin stories. But we sometimes these rules in these systems, they dictate our behavior. Like the billable hour dictates our behavior. I think I wrote a proposal or something in one of those legal profession classes in law school about getting rid of the billable hour. (laughs) But like things like that, those systemic things do infiltrate, right? And so then even interactions can be transactional. So when we start to talk about that, we really can affect change. So I am. Super excited about your book. I'll be reading it, promoting it, all the things. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for sharing. The final thing that I just have for you is if you have any final thoughts, if there's anything that we didn't touch on that
1: you would like to
0: discuss and share with everyone, you have the floor.
1: Yeah. I think one thing I've been thinking about lately is just this idea of, especially growing up as millennials, I think there was always an idea that once you achieve something, you're set for life like, Oh, once you get into the school, you're set for life. Once you get this job, you're set for life. And maybe that was true in an earlier era, or maybe not even, but I don't think that that type of thinking is accurate now. And trying to let go of this idea of being set for life has been probably the most challenging to me, but also the most necessary for me to take steps that are different. And thinking back to like all these points where I thought I was set for life and it turns out, nope, then there was something else. There was another pivot and getting comfortable with that uncertainty with that instability almost, but still knowing that it will work out is probably the best mindset shift and the hardest mindset shift, especially for people trying to like pivot their careers or change their lives right now. Because you want to think that the next thing you do is like the end all be all. But chances are it might not be, but it's still going to be okay. And holding those two thoughts at once is both paramount to a career shift, but also so difficult.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share this episode with friends and family. And if you like what you hear, please go on to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to rate the show. It helps other listeners find no straight path. Let's spread the message, everyone, and make sure that millennials feel less alone. There's no straight path in your career and life, and that's okay. It's honestly what makes the journey exciting. So let's get inspired together. I hope you have a great week.